0: We're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. The story just keeps getting better. Uh, this, uh, this story most people don't want to deal with because it's very complex. I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning the other night. I read through the 18th century, the 19th century. Nobody had any answers. I got to the 6th century. Finally, I got to the 3rd century and got some people that were actually reading what the Bible said and were giving me biblical answers instead of, uh, instead of their ideas. And so I'm going to share those with you today. You don't necessarily have to believe everything I say, but I believe you're going to find out that God's word is going to just blow your socks off. Okay. So uh, Genesis 18 is where we're headed, but you know, we live in a very visual culture and that's what this story in Genesis 18 is about. It's about the vis- visualization of God but everything we do when we think about it is connected to visuals alright let me just give you some some places in cities and you tell me the name of the city alright last night struggled with this it was raining they, they were lethargic but I think you guys you're gonna be okay alright the Chrysler building and the Statue of Liberty New York City alright you did well um the Tower Bridge and fish and chips London okay Uh, Fisherman's Wharf and the Golden Gate Bridge. San Francisco. All right. A hookworm and the Eiffel Tower. They are both parasites. (laughs) All right, y'all okay down there? (laughs) alright Genesis 18 stand with me out of respect for God's Word let's now <clears throat> let me tell you you know I believe the Bible is the word of God forwards backwards and sideways and words always mean things so pay close attention the Lord the word that is used there is Adonai it is the Hebrew word for the Almighty the high one the exalted one he appeared to Abraham ...near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, check out his reaction, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, Adonai, do not pass your servant by... Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. They. Did you see that? Can we go back to that? Very well, they. It's plural. Hang on to that. All right. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, get three sea as the fine flour, knead it and make some bread. Then he ran to the herd, selected a choice tender calf, gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds, some cheese and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set it before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They... Ask him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. They are 99 and 89, respectively. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed. How? to herself internally she laughs and she thought after I am worn out and my master is old will I now have this pleasure then the Lord said to Abraham why did Sarah laugh huh will I really have a child now that I'm old is anything too hard for Yahweh the covenant name of God I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and she said, I did not laugh, but he said, Oh yes, you did laugh. You can be seated. Okay. Most people focus on the end of this story and we will too when we get to it, but let's, let's take it for what it is. Let's take it at face value. So, here's the story. 4,000 years ago, Abraham is sitting out in front of his tent in the heat of the day. This is a very normal thing for a Middle Eastern culture then and now. Not a whole lot has changed, okay? It's very hot. It's late in the afternoon. Mama's inside cooking and the man's sitting outside in the cool. Ladies, does that sound familiar to you? All right, pretty much the same the same story's been playing out, right? So you may wonder, where did this story happen? Well, let me help you, okay? This is a map of Israel, Jerusalem's up here, about 45 miles south is the city of Hebron. Hebron is where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph will pass through here, but this is where they live, but he's about a mile north of that in a place called Mamre and the Great Oaks. I wonder if any of those trees are left. That's a good question. This is called the Oak of Abraham, the roots go back 4,000 years. It's called a terebinth oak. Uh, they only have them in the Negev desert. They uh, they grow pretty much without water. There's water down under the ground somewhere that's feeding them. But literally you're in the middle of the desert and then all of a sudden there's an oak tree. No doubt this is almost for sure the spot where this story took place. So Abraham sitting at the mouth of his tent And he sees three visitors. Now, he's going to run to them. He's going to bow down. He addresses them as my Lord. He addresses them as my Lord. Now, let's be honest. If you saw me coming or I saw you coming, my first reaction would not be, here comes God. No offense. That would not be my first thought. But it is Abraham's thought. So are they, are they shining? Are they in gold? Or what do they look like? I I don't know. But here's what I think through my, through my research, and you can do with this part what you want. It's definitely God, but it is not God and two angels because God always talks about himself in the collective sense, we, and he addresses all of them as Lord, Here's what I think is going on. This is free. You do with this what you want. I think he's seeing three Jesus. Because the bodily form of God is Jesus. When Jesus comes into the earth, when he represents the form of God as a man, it's Jesus, right? So he's seeing the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all take on the embodiment of God. And he looks out and hears the triplets of God. So because this is nothing new, Genesis 1-1 talks about the triune God. God, the Father spoke, Jesus is moving, and the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So the idea of God in three forms is nothing new. But Abraham gets to see them in their glory. Why Abraham and why now? Because... God is about to explain to Abraham again that the Messiah's line is about to start. That the story that we've all waited for, they've waited for 2,000 years. We've now waited on the other side of it 4,000 years. But it's all about to start on this very day. So God shows up in person to tell Abraham this story. Now, here's what we didn't cover. If you go back a chapter, if you remember, God had told Abraham four times, four times, we preached it here, that He would bring the Messiah through Abraham's body. It would all right. So they found a loophole. Sarah said, This is never going to happen. I can't have children. Why don't you sleep with my handmaid? Not unusual in that culture, okay? But a child is conceived, and a boy named Ishmael is born. And as soon as Ishmael's born, Sarah's mad. It was Sarah's idea. But she wears Abraham out for the next 13 years. How could you do this? How could you do this? And he he throws him up in his face every single day. And Abraham's having to live with that. And maybe that's why God doesn't even chastise Abraham for getting ahead of his plan. Maybe God feels like he got enough punishment for what's already happened here. But he took things into his own hands instead of waiting for God's plan. But at this moment, God steps onto the scene and he runs. This is the application part of this. When's the last time you ran for God? And I don't mean that in the physical sense. I'm not talking about running to the altar or running somewhere. But when's the last time we were excited, passionate, couldn't wait to worship, couldn't wait to give, couldn't wait to serve, couldn't wait to change the world, couldn't wait to get to a Bible study? When's the last time we were that excited about God? When's the last time you said, I gotta get to God? When Abraham was in that moment, that's what he did. I mean, can you imagine when you get to heaven, Whether, whether we die or whether the Jesus comes to get us and we get to heaven and you see Jesus and you're going to say, you're going to say, Hey, let's play it real cool. Let's walk up there real slow. Like we're something special. Or do you think you're going to run with everything you've got or fly or however we move and you're going to leap into Jesus arms? I think the latter. That's my plan. Just as soon as I can get my arms around him, that's what I'm going to do. Why is it here we don't seem to be in any hurry? We don't seem to have the passion. We don't have to seem to have the excitement. And the only other place this story really plays out is in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, the story is flipped, and we've got the story of the prodigal son, who went out and blew all of daddy's money on women and and partying and wild living. And then he decided, you know what, I'd be better off as a slave, I'd just soon come home and work for my dad as a slave. And when he came to the end of the lane, his father was waiting for him and it said his father ran to meet him. And he said, my son that was lost has been found. It's the only place in the Bible that said God ran. It's the only place that says God ever got in a hurry. And he says to his older brother, he says, your brother has come home. Go and kill the fatted calf that we may celebrate. Do you know who loses in this, both of these stories? There's one loser in both stories. It's the cow. Yeah, both stories. Both stories, the cow loses. Sorry. We're gonna, we're gonna have, we're gonna have stakes tonight. All right. In both, in both stories. But it's the same idea of when God's involved, there's, there's, there's a desire. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. You know the story. But then the next immediate reaction, he falls down. He worships. He calls them God. And then he did what every Middle Eastern man, 4,000 years ago would have done, and what they do to this day. He invited them for dinner. Now, let me explain this to you. It's dinner time. And so, if you're sitting outside your tent, and somebody walks by, you're having dinner, you invite them in. You never saw them before. You're like, we're Americans, we don't do that. No, but it's still that way today. If you go to Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, any Arab country... And if it's not dinner time, then you will still be invited in and they will whip up tea and cookies and all kinds of snacks. And I've had times where I've gone to four or five meetings in the same day and you're tired, you're exhausted from all of the eating. It's like more tea, more cookies. You just And they just keep bringing it to you because it is expected and it would be rude if you don't accept it. Now, that whole story is going to play out more when we get to chapter 19, when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to see why Lot invites these angels into his house, because this was expected. So Abraham invites God into his house for dinner. What if God were coming to your house for dinner tonight? What would you have to do? Any changes? Maybe some things you'd have to throw out the window. Some doors you'd have to lock. Some children you'd hide. I don't know. But do you realize God comes to dinner every night? It's like, oh, the preacher's coming over. Let's put the Bible on the table. Um, you know, it's, God's at every meal. God's at everything we do. But we don't think of it in those terms. But for Abraham, it's real. And so this is not, you know, they don't go to Publix and pick up steaks. This is an all-day event. Now we've got to get milk, we've got to get cheese, we've got to make steaks. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on here. So Abraham spends the afternoon talking to God underneath that tree and serving God. Notice what it said when they were eating. Abraham didn't eat with them. Did you see that part? It said Abraham served the three men, and Abraham stood over by the oak tree, and he watched. So he didn't even pull himself up to the table. This is don't miss, don't miss what's going on here. Proverbs says it this way. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter three says, "Do not withhold um, from from people when." Let's start again. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within your power to act. See, God doesn't hold us accountable for what we can't do, but he does hold us accountable for what we can do. And when God is involved, and you're like, well, but God doesn't come to my house. Jesus covered that pretty well Matthew 25. He said, whenever you see someone who's hungry and you feed them, Jesus said, you fed me. When you see someone who's thirsty and you give them a drink of clean water, you've given that water to me. And then on the other hand, the people that were being condemned, they said, Jesus, if we'd have known it was you, we would have given you water. And Jesus said, because you didn't give it to that one in need, you missed me. You missed the whole point of why you were here. It's a crazy story. Daniel chapter 5, it's a story about Belshazzar. And if you don't know where the phrase handwriting on the wall comes from, it comes from Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, where the the Babylonians were into partying. And where you and I might have a two or three day party, they would have a two or three year party. And it would go on nonstop. It would be a drunken orgy. It would have—they were out of control. And this went on for years. And one day Belshazzar pushed up a little too far, and he brought out all of the gold and silver items that they had stolen from the temple in Jerusalem to mock the living God. And God shows up just as one giant hand and writes on the wall. Basically, the message is, Belshazzar, your story's over. And before that night ends, Belshazzar's dead and his entire kingdom has been taken away and the Babylonians cease to exist and the Medes take over. It's a, it's a wild story. But I wonder what it takes for us to see the handwriting on the wall, that God is with us. God's a part of everything we do. And when is the last time we ran? to do something? When's the last time we said, God, I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna serve you. It might look like I'm serving somebody else, but God, this is all for you. When's the last time we took that kind of an approach? Let's move on, one more. Well, Now we'll get to the, the baby, the amazing part, okay? Now, everybody's struggling here. We know Sarah's barren, all right, because Satan knows that if Sarah doesn't have this child, see, you'll notice Satan didn't try to stop Ishmael from being born, because Ishmael's not the child of the promise, but Isaac is. So Sarah's barren and she's 90 years old. Alright. Now that's a big deal. Ladies don't normally have babies at 90 years old and I, I'm trying to be really careful how I said it. I tap danced fairly well last night. So I don't know how this miracle happened, okay? I'm not pretending to know whether God intervened in some supernatural way. Uh, but Abraham's a hundred years old. Anybody with me on this story? Can we at least admit no matter how this happened, it was a miracle? All right, is everybody with me? All right, I mean, I think that's the point of the story. In Hebrew, sometimes things are just very open and honest. So this miracle is going to happen, and God said, I'll be back in a year, and you will have a child. The whole story is about to flip. The story that's going to bring us Jesus is about to happen through a baby boy. Very similar to another baby boy that will come along 2,000 years later. This time, it will be a virgin birth. And through that virgin birth, that child will bring salvation to the whole world. But that this is where that story starts. So if you haven't accepted Jesus yet, before you leave, you need to accept Christ or be baptized. Whatever you need to do, you come up front. Our people will be here. If you're online, you hit the button, I've decided. But there's a guy in Australia. Here's his picture. His name's Roy. Roy lives at a place called The Gap in Australia. It's a, a section of road that is very dangerous. And Roy has saved 160 people's lives over the last 50 years. He lives right there on this corner. And every time there's a situation, he goes out And he's the rescuer. Can you imagine? I mean, if you rescue one or two people in your life, that's pretty amazing even if you're a paramedic. But this guy, just living his life, has saved 160 lives. That's a good story. But that's just lives. We're talking about souls. We're talking about eternal destiny. Heaven and hell. There's a story. Birthday was four days ago, I think. On April 26th, 1992, a little baby boy was born. Mom and dad, neither one wanted this child. And obviously, given that time, the baby could have very easily been aborted. But at the last minute, mom decided to give that child up for adoption. That child today is 6, seven, 280 pounds. He plays right field for the New York Yankees. His name's Aaron Judge. You'd never know his name. You'd never know his story if a mom didn't have the courage to give that child up for adoption and if another family didn't step in to rescue that child, adopt that child, which is what God has done for all of us. He took us and he adopted us through the blood of Christ into his family. What an incredible story. But... We don't seem to be amazed by much anymore. And that's what I think this last part's about. Sarah laughed. And you know, Isaac means laughter. So where Abraham has had to live with Sarah in his ear for the last 13 years, now for the rest of their lives, they're going to have to call Isaac. And every time they call Isaac, it's a reminder when they didn't trust God. Because his name means laughter. It's an incredible story, right? But somewhere along the line, maybe because of technology, maybe it's because of our busyness, we've lost our ability to be amazed at creation, at the stars, at God himself, at the miracles he's done in our own lives. In Mark chapter 6, the disciples were out with Jesus on the boat. And it said, Jesus climbs into the boat after he's calmed down the storm. And it said, they were completely amazed, stunned, shell shocked, awed. When's the last time we went, Wow, wow, God, you are amazing. I have watched you. Now, we're good. We're good at that emotion when we're upset at God, but when he pulls something off, When's the last time you went, wow, God, you're just so amazing. Let me finish with this story. Jesus tells it in Matthew 13. It's the story of the wheat and tares. Tares are weeds, okay? So it's the wheat and the weeds. <clears throat> and the, they're, they're going by a field and the disciples are like, should we go rip those weeds out? And Jesus said, no. He said, let the weeds grow with the wheat. Because while you're tearing out the weeds, you might tear out the wheat and destroy the crop. Just let them grow together. And Jesus said, at the harvest, I'll sort it all out. But here's the deal. Jesus wasn't talking about wheat. He was looking at a wheat field. But he was talking about people. And you're like, well, why does God let this person get away with this, let this happen, and why not, why, why am I not, you know, whatever. And the truth is, the weeds and the wheat look exactly the same. You cannot tell them apart until the very end of the growing season. At the very end of the growing season, the wheat gets fruit on it, which is the seeds that we grind into flour to make bread but up until that last moment they look exactly the same the only difference is that the wheat actually produces something and Jesus said let it all grow and we'll find out who produces and then at the end we can get rid of the weeds one more thing when the wheat gets mature because it's produced fruit Wheat boughs. When tares get mature, they stand up proud and arrogant. What an analogy Jesus used. Father, as we wrap this up, I don't know who needs what online or here. Do we need to run? Do we need to serve? Do we need to be amazed? Do we need to bow? I I don't know. But I pray that your word... Does exactly what you said. It wouldn't come back void. Some need to be saved. Some need to be broken. Some need to start serving. Some need to start producing fruit. There's a multitude of things that need to happen. But God, only you can move in people's hearts. Hear our prayers, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.